Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to Crucial Conversations. I'm Peter. And I'm Kevin. Hello. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> if anybody gets that reference, we're sorry. Very sorry. <laughs> so, we're back from our Christmas break, getting into our podcast rhythm in the season of Epiphany. Which, Epiphany. Yeah. It's not Christmas anymore. I, I got so used to saying Christmas isn't over. And because, you know, it's like 12 days long and now it actually is over. But Epiphany isn't over. Well, Christmas is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So if you guys don't know what Epiphany is or you're not familiar with that, talk to your pastor. He would probably love to talk to you about like the church year and all these different seasons that we have and why we have these different seasons and actually how they help us read and understand scripture and that kind of cool stuff because the church year can actually do that i think you could also use it to talk to your friends and neighbors about what you believe well yeah if i tell my neighbor hey happy epiphany and they're like uh what's that what yeah i mean it it really (laughs) is an opportunity for the church to talk to the world about what we believe i mean i go to church every sunday at least every sunday Mm-hmm. Right. So this is a huge part of my life. Why don't I tell my friends and neighbors about this huge part of my life and the reality of the rhythm of the church? Yeah. Right. We're in the season of Epiphany. Yeah. What does that mean? I mean, most people have heard of the wise men, the Magi, and we could start with that story and explain what Epiphany is. Yeah. So just think about that as you as you look at ways to witness or share your faith. <laughs> Actually talk to people or about talk Jesus. to people about Jesus that that maybe even the church here itself is a way to kind of, you know, people are all into geeking out and nerding out about things. Well, why don't we just be excited about what we believe? I kind of nerded out yesterday because my wife and I took down all of our Christmas decorations, like all of them yesterday. And I was like, this is the most liturgical we've ever been because we're actually removing all of our Christmas decorations on Epiphany. That's crazy. (laughs) It's like, okay. Except for the wise men in your nativity set, you left the wise men up. I think we boxed them up oh, first. We're not oh. that liturgical. Come oh. on. All right. That's <laughs> enough about that. All right. So today we're going to introduce kind of a new category um, of our of our podcasting and a, a question that Kevin and I like to ask each other as we are processing different things, as we encounter different ideas. It's a question that I have found particularly helpful over the years. Um, I'm assuming Kevin's found it somewhat helpful because... He talks about it as well <laughs> as we have this conversation. But this the question is this one. What worldview teaches that? So when we're, we're encountering different things, this idea... Well, okay, so first of all, let's talk about worldview. Uh, worldview uh, could also be defined as perspective or bias or simply a way of looking at something. How, what informs how we look at what's going on or what's what's around us or even the words that we're reading your worldview is the lens through which you see the world i've given like what five different definitions now kevin do you have a definition of worldview that you like well no because i i use weird terms like it's your hermeneutic (laughs) it's it's actually the way you read the world it's not just the way you see it it's the way you read it it's the way you interpret it yeah we we all have these kind of presupposed notions Right. Yeah. And and those things influence the way we interpret whatever happens to us. 
if, if postmodernism or whatever we see, yeah, if postmodernism has been helpful at all, in one area it's been helpful in identifying the fact that nobody is a blank slate, free from bias, free from influence in every way. Uh, yeah, contrary to, to John Locke, right? Who, who thought know, we were all born tabula rasa, right? right. A clean slate, and we just kind of learn as we go. Or the mo- modernism promoted the idea that you can have. You can have no bias. Right. That you can actually operate without any bias whatsoever. Objective. objective. You can be objective. Yeah, you can actually be objective. That nope, this is simply the way things are. Right. Uh, the reality is, we all have a worldview or multiple worldviews or all different ways of looking at things that influence how we are, how we look at things, like you said, how we read things, how we understand things. And that worldview generally is not a biblical one. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Stupid concupiscence. Often concupiscence. I got concupiscence um, yeah, I know. That's because you're concupiscent about it. You keep. It's like it's a competition. <laughs> My concupiscence um, yes. makes me get concupiscence. Concupiscence is showing. Yes. So, yeah, I, and I know Derrida and some of these word these names from postmodernism are kind of dirty words, but but Jacques Derrida actually said that every single thing is interpretation. And that scares me when you say that, Kevin. And every text needs to be interpreted. And and what he meant was not just written text, but actually what he was getting at was this whole idea that that every time anybody encounters anything, whether it be a written text, a thought, an action, a situation, a religion, whatever it is, mm-hmm. we interpret it. And we have something by which we interpret those and things. It, it, to so, put it in Lutheran terms, we all say... What does this mean? Right. What does this mean? And we all have some way of answering that question. So think about this. I mean, this doesn't have to be weird. It's very easy and it's very practical. If you have an infant, right? We have some friends that just had a baby, right? Mm -hmm. If that infant cries, you have a matrix in order to interpret that reality. Yeah. You probably don't think, oh, they're wanting to borrow the car. (laughs) They want to use daddy's credit card. Right. But that same child... In 16 years, you might interpret them throwing a fit as, well, too bad they want to use the car, but they can't, right? right? So something is helping you interpret that reality. That's all it is. That's all it means. Yep. And and our worldview can be very helpful because you don't have a bunch of young parents getting up in the middle of the night and making sure the car is full of gas so their infant can borrow it. <laughs> that's just silly, right? right. We laugh yeah, at that exactly. because our worldview tells us that's a nonsensical reaction yeah. to that child's that, cry. That context is not applicable to this situation. Right. But but see that's that's exactly what a worldview is. It it teaches you how to interpret each and every thing in your life. And and what we what we're getting at is that this is a reality for us, and, and we don't even understand sometimes the worldviews that are influencing the way that we read a text, yeah. that we think through things, that we um, read doctrine, read the scriptures, mm-hmm. think about God. Right. So that, that's why this question is a helpful one to simply step back and process what we believe, how we look at things by asking this, the simple question, what worldview teaches that? Because it, it is the case that you can, you can kind of, systematize isn't the word I'm looking for, but you can kind of organize things a little bit to help you figure out, okay, where does, where does this actually come from? Yeah. Why do I think that this is the way things are as opposed to that over there 
being the way things are. There, there's something that is causing me to see this in that way. What is that thing? Yep. And most importantly, is that thing scripture? Is that thing Jesus, who he is and what he's done? And my chair is squeaking. For Very some squeaky reason. chair. Yeah, we'll see if that comes through on who the knows? podcast. So that's that's our question, and we're gonna, you know, we'll we'll circle back on this many times. But today, we want to take that question and apply it to a particular passage of scripture and a particular idea. Uh, one side note, really quick: Did you know Immanuel Kant was the first person to use the the term worldview? Was he really? Weltbild. Yeah, I have a yeah. book. So he, he coined the term worldview. And according to Lutheran legend, I haven't looked this up, his mother was a Lutheran. And yeah, he, he was, was a Lutheran. Yeah, Lutheran. He was raised Lutheran, yeah. So this whole concept of worldview is a Lutheran idea. Lutheran one. Yeah, Yeah, we don't want to get off on Immanuel <laughs> Kant because um, as, as a one philosophy professor once said, I don't think anybody actually understands Kant. <laughs> you can't understand him but Ooh. yes thank you yeah, very, much. That's very nice. but anyway we don't want to get off on Kant yeah. but but there's a he did a lot of work um, if you believe his own writings and a lot of the things he was doing he was trying to cut through some of these issues that we're talking about to actually get to the point where Christ is the only thing that we trust in Mm. there's a lot of his writings where he kind of says that's what he was trying to do now there's other things he wrote that seem contrary to that so seems like he didn't actually get there it didn't and yeah. and he's he's kind of hard to pin down himself in his own personal writings on what he believed but anyway yeah. there's just a lot of this a lot of of time in philosophy is spent dealing with this kind of question so we're gonna we're gonna try to to take all of that and stop talking about it <laughs> and actually try to do it with a text yeah all right, so we're going to do that with Romans 6. So, Kevin, go ahead and read Romans 6 for us. Well, I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing. Well, whatever part but you I, want to just read. What I want to do is I want to start off Romans 6 just to remind everybody that this is the place where Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So this is a very Lutheran passage. You know, this is this is one of those kind of, we all love this passage as Lutherans because it talks about baptism. It's got nice death and resurrection language of Christ. Um, so so we're not going to spend a lot of time necessarily on that part. But what we want to do is, is we, we go on later in verse 7 of chapter six, it says for no one for, I'm sorry, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Freedom. Mm -hmm. And that's what we want to talk about is, is freedom. Yeah. What is this idea of freedom? So we talked about this just briefly in our last episode in the context of, of Mary and the annunciation, Gabriel coming to her and telling her, here's what's going to happen. So we want, to, we want to expand on that a little bit because here's, here's my struggle with this word freedom in rightly understanding it. My, my worldview, my worldview is a little bit weird because I haven't grown up in America for all of my life. But generally speaking, my worldview on freedom is very much a Western idea. So Western society that tells me um, my, my right to self-determination to 
self-actualization. I'm just going to do a bunch of jargony words. <laughs> Who knows a bunch of jargony mean? words. Um, you know, I'm, I am free to do what I... Freedom means I'm free to do whatever I want to do. That this is the most important thing in my life is to be free to pursue my own, my own goals, my own agenda uh, without any hindrances towards that. And in particular, so that's the Westerners in general, that's kind of how we view freedom, but Americans in particular, uh, going back to the American Revolution and all that kind of stuff, you've got very specific ideas about freedom that come out of that, where being free from oppressive governments, free from, well, those who came to America, wanting freedom of religion, free to worship however they choose, and wanting that kind of a freedom. And then you go into our darker parts of our history with, with the idea of slavery mm-hmm. and slavery being contrasted with freedom. And that's the two sides of that coin. You're either free or you're a slave. And so, Kevin, when I read Romans 6 and this word free comes up, I basically see it that way because that's how I read the world. That's my hermeneutic. That's how I've been raised. When I am taught what freedom means... That's what I've been taught freedom means. And so when I read scripture and see that word, there it is. That's what freedom is. Yeah, and I think I think the to to keep on unpeeling some of that and, and, and peeling back the layers and looking deeper, what what we're really getting at is that most Western civilization people see freedom as an individualistic idea mm-hmm. that I am free from the constraints of someone else forcing me to do what I don't want to do. Right. So freedom is a very, very centered and very focused on individual. Um, to be very blunt about me. It's about me. Yeah. I am free to do what I want to do. That's freedom. The problem is, is that is entirely contrary to what Paul means when he says you've been set free. Uh-oh. Entirely. Um, The Bible simply doesn't have this idea in mind at all when it talks about freedom. You You are not free to exert your will. You are not free to do what you want to do. As a matter of fact, when you do what you want to do, that's called slavery. And freedom is the opposite of that. Okay, so how do, how do we... <clears throat> how do we get at that? Like, it, it's one thing to say mm-hmm. this is the, the opposite, but actually working through Scripture to get us to that, how, how do I know reading Scripture that that's actually what that means? Yeah, see, that's, that's the key, <laughs> is, is how, do, how do I know what Scripture means by, by freedom? And how, how do I break out of my own worldview that I'm bringing with me to know that, well, no, Scripture actually talks about it differently. It's not the same thing. Because this this is one of the struggles that I have, and I, I know other people have. And talking to my kids as I'm teaching them, I had this very conversation with my daughter the other day of, well, when Scripture uses this word, how do I know what it means when Scripture uses it versus what it means when I use it in my everyday life? And how do I know if those two aren't the same thing? Yeah, so I think we just read. All right. And and Paul goes on 
And he says, starting verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, but since you are not under law, but under grace. And, and we read that and we say, see, I've been set free from sinning, right? Mm-hmm. And that sounds good. That sounds like, okay, I've been set free from this terrible taskmaster of, of sin, which we want to say is good because we're in Christ and, and, our, yeah. and the Holy Spirit teaching us that sin is bad. Yeah. We recognize right? that that's, so that's good. It's good to be released from that. But what we don't do is keep reading because what Paul's going to go on to say is that you're not just free. You're simply set free from one master. And now you serve a different one. Okay, that's where, as an American, I don't like that. Yeah, and that's where, as a sinner, I don't like that. That too. Yes. So, so we keep reading. And it, and if we we're just going to skip a little bit just for time, but listen to verse seventeen and eighteen. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. See, he doesn't see your, say you're set free to do what you want. He says you've been changed from slavery to sin to slavery to righteousness. Or, or another way, he doesn't say I've been set free to pursue my own will. Exactly. As if my own will is now good. Right. Because I, I think as a Christian, that's what I tend to do. It's not that, I'm, I'm, look, I'm enough of a Christian, if I can phrase it this way, that I recognize freedom from sin doesn't mean I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Because I still understand at some level that I kind of want to sin. Mm-hmm. So, but I don't, well, I think what I do instead is I see it as my will now has some good to it that I can pursue and that right. I, that I, that that's what's happened is my will is now kind of good and and I'm free to use my own will, pursue my own will as a good thing. If that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's probably closer to how I actually see this, but what Paul is saying here is no, no, not even that. Nope. <laughs> no. And, and I think that I wish I remembered where I read this precisely, but I read an essay on, on the new Testament use of the word slavery and what this really means. And the author, the main point of, of this author's observation was that the, the real root of slavery is that your will doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is the will of the master. Hmm. That slaves don't have the right to have their own will. They simply do what they're told. That's what it means to be a slave. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really important inf- um, observation for us as we talk this through is that whether we want to admit it or not, we're really fighting for the right to exert our will. Right. And and you might say, well, yeah. And so now my will is fixed. So I get to do what I want. That's accordance with God's will. And that's good. And I agree. It is better to do what God wants than what Satan right. wants, obviously. But see, that's the point is we're, we're putting the focus on my will now can be good and I can do what yeah, I the, want. The move I've made is I've tried to sanctify my desires. Right. Instead Rather of really. <laughs> ins- go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. Instead of really putting the focus on the will of 
God being the thing that governs us. Yeah. And and this is and I don't want to get too pointed in some of this. But there's a lot of people right now that are arguing about the role of the law in preaching and and how certain people either get rid of all the law and don't have any room for sanctification they're preaching or teaching or something like that. Mm-hmm. But see, this is really this is really the solution to that is that when I am in Christ, I am still a slave. I've been set free from sin and death. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. You are free indeed. Yep. So we're not going to go back to that kind of slavery. Right. Right. We're not going to enslave ourselves again. That's what Paul says in Galatians. Do not become enslaved again to sin, to the law, mm. to death. But Paul, the one who's talking about all this freedom, is the one who says, I am a slave of Christ Jesus. Hmm. Right? So what we're really talking about in the New Testament is I am set free from a master who is killing me, who is driving me to sin and death and hell. Mm -hmm. That's the master I was under in my sin. Christ has set me free from that master and has delivered me to a master who is gracious and just and kind and loving and forgiving. And guess what? And he gives me life. Gives us life. Yeah. See, that's the move. You were enslaved to sin and death. Now you're enslaved to righteousness and life. The, the problem, though, is I don't actually believe God is that good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Fundamentally. I, I, I still, because, because I still retain my sinful nature... That's still a part of me until the day I die or, you know, Christ comes back first. Um, really, and I think we've said this before on the show, the reality is that I don't actually believe that God is that good. I, I really fundamentally believe that I'm kind of good and I want to just follow what I want to do. So every time you, you're saying what you're saying, Kevin, and I'm reading this here and Paul saying it in Romans, I... I don't really believe it because I still yeah. kind of want to do my own thing. Yeah, and and this is and not to not to make it too pedantic or to or to, to kind of go back to the, the the passage I always go back to, but but really Matthew sixteen, where where Peter gets it right by the inspiration of the, of the Father, right? The mm-hmm. Father teaches Peter this somehow, you know that that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and and Jesus goes well. You know that was given to you. Yeah, yeah. you didn't. You didn't get that you right on your, own. Up with that on your own. Right. Yeah. But then right away, Peter's like, "No, Jesus, you can't do it the way you say." <laughs> and and Jesus looks at Peter and says, "Get behind me, Satan, because you have in mind not the things of God, but the things of man." And and this is really the Christian life. Is that yeah? I believe it. I totally get mm-hmm. it. And the next moment, I'm back to telling God how He should be God and how He should run things. Yeah. Because my ideas are right. And he needs to shape up and do what I think he should do. It's, it's amazing how deep this particular worldview goes in, in so much of what we do. I mean, so we're, we've talked about this, you know, speaking from Romans 6 and, and this whole, I don't know, setting of conversion maybe is a way mm-hmm. of talking about it. But the way you just described it makes it clear. We, we do this all the time. Yes. This whole idea of our will over God's will versus being, you know, slave to our sin, a slave to God. I mean, you think of 
the whole idea of why does God let bad things happen to good people? You know, the crux theologorum, if we're going to use the uh, Latin terminology, the cross of the theologian, the very basis of that is the idea that I could know better and God could have done it differently. The idea that my will actually is, is, a, is a better one. The, the idea of, uh, well, Christian freedom. We just posted something last week on our social media accounts about this idea of Christian freedom and what that is. And we tend to look at our Christian freedom as just a sanctified way of doing whatever I want to do. <laughs> yeah, and, and God kind of has to deal with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I really think this this comes down a lot on the way that we approach sanctification is is that we we take the, the biblical truth that in Christ we are sanctified. You know, like like Paul says in First Thessalonians five twenty three, body, mind, spirit, however you want to parse those three parts, mm-hmm. they're all sanctified in Christ Jesus. This is the work of God, right? Right. So yes, that is true. And then we take that and we say, therefore, I get to do what I want and God has to be okay with it. <laughs> right? And and that that is not the 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 stance of obedience to the one whose will is good. Yeah. And and you know, I've started saying this a lot when I teach, just said it yesterday actually. What do you call the situation in which the only thing you can do is God's will? Heaven. Yeah, that's called that's paradise. 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 Bliss. <laughs> right? That's called paradise. When we are in heaven after the second coming of Christ, we will only and always do the will of God. You will not do your own will. Mm-hmm. You will not assert your own will. You will not question God. You will not look for a way to do what you want to do or to to love yourself. I guarantee it. You will do only and always the will of God. Perfectly loved and perfectly loved. That's what you will do. And we call that paradise. We call that perfect. We call that the fulfillment of God's ideal of humanity, that we will always and only do his yeah. will. See, I think See, that's, that's part, part, part of the problem, problem that we have is that how that's, that's not, not necessarily my understanding of what paradise is. is. Even, even, in, even that doctrine gets influenced by my western american worldview right and looks at heaven as oh well i'll finally be able to get to do what i want but without sin <laughs> or i'll finally get to do what i want without mistakes yeah right so i'll finally get to play golf and never hit my ball in the woods right and you kind of go that's that's your view of heaven <laughs> and honestly that's what most of us think most of us picture heaven as something on earth without the mistakes yeah and i get to do what i want right with no consequences so i get to eat as much as i want and never gain weight, right? Yep. I mean, a lot of people say that. Oh, when I get to heaven, I will finally get to, and they fill in the blank with whatever activity that they want to do, mm-hmm. but they feel too guilty to do it now. And the reason they can't do it is because there's consequences. So in heaven, there just won't be these negative consequences. Or what's interesting, you, get, you do get, I'm wondering if this is an inkling of, of actually having the correct view, but then even twisting that correct view where, all you're going to do is you're going to sit on a cloud playing a harp. Yeah, because... Which is almost a perversion of the correct view of you're right. only going to do God's will. Oh, well, God's will is boring. Mm-hmm. God's will stinks. I don't like doing God's will. That's not fun at all. Therefore, yeah. heaven is sitting on a cloud playing a harp. And that's it. That's boring. Yeah, yeah which which I think actually would be a little weird. Um, especially because that's not the way God made Adam and Eve. 
So that would be weird. Yeah. yeah. But it could be, you know, if that's God's will, then that will be bliss. Right. And, and this is really the issue is that when we think about freedom, we are, we are still trapped in this concupiscence that drives me back to myself being the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. And so freedom has to be that I get to do what I want to do. I don't care what you say otherwise. That's what freedom really is. Yeah. And if God is in charge, then then I'm being oppressed. Help help I'm being oppressed, right? And <laughs> I see the and, violence inherent in the system. Yes, exactly. And and the problem is, I mean, go read Ephesians five, starting at verse twenty two. And Read it with a, a female. <laughs> I was going to say, uh-oh. Yeah, and what does it say? The trouble territory. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. And and you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Right? I was just at a wedding, and the pastor explicitly said, you know, we're not going to talk about submission because this couple understands that it's all about mutual love and support. And and I, Oops. you know, I tried my best to, to not stand up and... and you still, you still did, did your, your heavy, heavy sigh, sigh though, didn't I did, you? I did, I did sigh a bit and, and might have rubbed my head a little bit. Just, <laughs> just, um, but, but the point of the passage that Paul is talking about there is, first of all, it's Christ and the church. And, and what Paul gets to is, is the submission of the church to Christ, right? The bride to the mm-hmm. bridegroom is a submission to the one who saves her. Why would I not want to submit to the one who saves me? Yeah. yeah who forgives me, who takes me out of death and gives me life. Why would I not submit to who that? Dies that seems really good. Yeah. Right? So he's going to give me everything good for free. What's wrong with that? Hmm. Why would I not want that for everybody I love? Yeah. Peter, God will give you all of eternity for free. Why is that bad? <laughs> Why would you not submit to that? Yeah. Why would you not submit to a God who says, I will recreate the world so that I can live with you forever and you will never sin, nor will you cause anybody else to sin and no one will ever suffer again because of you, yeah. you goob. Yeah. Why would you not submit to that? That's a wonderful thing. If I said to you, Peter, you know, I am going to take care of you the rest of your life. You don't have to work again. You don't have to do anything again. I just, you just have to use my bank account. You say no. Well, but that, I'm going to use my bank account. But that's, but that's the thing. thing. I, I, I think, think what, this, this is, is where I find, find <clears throat> sometimes, sometimes whether it's books or movies or media, media to be helpful in identifying worldviews because there are themes that actually would take that and say that the theme of the story is no. I don't want to be beholden to somebody right. else. Exactly. I need to do it myself. I got to earn this. This is, it's not worth it. It's not real. It's not true unless I've earned it for myself. And that's, that's exactly right. You just, you just nailed it. Which, which <laughs> so yeah, is, Kevin, I don't which is your why, which is why as Lutherans, article four of the Augsburg confession, mm-hmm. you know, it just comes back again is that, our relationship with God, our existence with God, is defined by grace through faith because of what Christ has done. Mm-hmm. And anytime you start saying, I don't think so, I want to play a part in that. Yeah. Even in sanctification, 
you're starting to get very dangerous in, in denying the divine monergism yeah. of God's working for us in Christ. Now, I'm not denying what Luther says about our wills being shaped in, in sanctification and, and cooperating in a very small way. I, I understand that. And that's sure. fine. But, but the whole point is, is when my will is sanctified, it's no longer exerting its own self over God. It's literally submitting to him and yeah. saying, I will do what you desire. It's not exerting itself for the sake of exerting itself. It's actually it obedient. <laughs> it's actually obedient. And, and the Greek word for obedience is actually like, it's kind of like listening under. So what it means is submitting yourself. Hmm. I will listen to what you say and I will do it. That's what obedience is. It just means what you say goes. And and when we are in Christ, the Spirit is teaching us to say to God, what you say goes. If you say it, that's the that's the end. Mm-hmm. There's no discussion. There's no argument. If God says it, it's true. It's and, and I live accordingly. So when he says love my neighbor, okay. I don't I don't say, I don't think that's the best idea. You haven't met my neighbor yet. You know, it, and this is, this is then the battle of sanctification is how do I learn to live as a Christian, understanding that everything in me wants to exert my will instead of doing what God wants. This is the battle. We're, we're back to trust, yes. which has been a common theme and will continue to be a common theme throughout everything we do because what to, to put both of those together what is that worldview teaching me to trust yeah and that's that's another way of phrasing that the helpful way okay what what is this worldview telling me to trust is it telling me to trust myself my own actions what i can do or is it pointing me to christ and saying trust him only him nothing else you've got nothing you you only can trust jesus and to, to, to me, me that, that that's that's why we've been talking about trust right. so much. Right. And like we, we talk, talk about Jesus as our bias. I think our very first episode thirteen where we talk about okay, how do we do this theology thing? How do we do Christianity? Well, we do it through Jesus. So we trust So him. what did Christ do on the cross about this? He, See, he sets the world free mm-hmm. so that it can be returned to its creator. Yeah. Not so they can go exert his own will, but so that all of us can be reconciled unto the Father. And the Father is the one who properly has the will that is best for us. Mm -hmm. And the question is, do you trust that? Do you trust that God is a loving God who's on your side? And the cross of Christ says you can trust this. He's the God who makes promises. He's the God who saves. He's the God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is the God who created the world. He is the God who will be standing at the end of the world. He is the God who has done all it takes to save you. That's what the cross and the empty tomb says about Jesus and about God. And he says, trust me. And trust that the God who's done all that, he has the best will. Mm-hmm. His will is best. Yep. That's, that's, that's what, what we're, we're here, here to do, do with crucial, crucial conversations and crucial productions. productions. And, and if, if at, at any time, time you guys are wondering if we're actually doing that or you have questions about something we've said, please ask us. us. We, we'd, we'd love, love to talk about, about it. it. We, we will take, take your questions, questions here on the show. show. We're, we're happy, happy to discuss, discuss them. them. 
uh, because we do want to point you to Christ. That's why we're here, not to teach you to trust in us. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> but to teach you, to point you to Christ so that you trust in him. Uh, we're here teaching you Christianity so you can pass it on. Well, that's Jesus. We want to teach you about him so you can trust him and then pass that on to other people. So if you got a question, email us, questions at crucialproductions.org. Go to our website, crucialproductions.org, and there's an ask a question form. You can fill that out, send it in. We have a Facebook group, The Grok Moot. It's kind of funny, but the link is down below in the description as well. Facebook page and Twitter and Instagram. You can find us in all those places. Uh, send us questions, have discussions. We'd love to chat with you and, and help you as you struggle through these things the same way that we are, I think. <laughs> so thanks for joining us on this podcast. We will see you next week. See ya.